0: Welcome to 35 West. I'm Chris Hernandez Roy, Deputy Director of the Americas Program at CSIS and co host of the 35 West podcast.
1: How professional,
0: the Mexican, but are we ready? I don't reform friends in Argentina. And that's what happened. Welcome to 35 West. I'm Chris Hernandez Roy, Senior Fellow and Deputy Director with the Americas Program at CSIS and the co host of the 35 West podcast. Rising geopolitical tensions between the United States, Russia, and China have prompted some to argue the world is headed towards a polarized and fragmented future, with some countries split into opposing camps between democracies and autocracies, and others not wanting to choose sides. In Latin America, rising U.S. China competition has provoked fears that the region may be forced to choose between the economic development and trade which China offers and its long standing relationship with the United States. In response, a new strategy, known as active non-alignment has been proposed for the region. This proposal has generated significant debate, especially regarding how it's been applied to Latin America's seemingly lukewarm stance towards Russia's invasion of Ukraine. To unpack the arguments around active non-alignment and its applications, we are joined today by Ambassador Jorge Heine, a research professor at Boston University and a former ambassador of Chile to China, India, and South Africa. Jorge is one of the most prominent luminaries on the theory of active non-alignment, and is also the co-editor of a new influential book, Latin American Foreign Policies in the New World Order, The Active Non-Alignment Option, which contains articles from a veritable who's who of renowned thinkers, diplomats, and government ministers from the region. In this episode, we will delve into the debate of active non-alignment in Latin America, its application currently to the war in Ukraine, and what this strategy portends for the future of U.S.-China competition. Thank you for joining us today, Ambassador Heine.
1: Thank you, Christopher, for the invitation. A pleasure being with you. It's truly a pleasure. The notion of
0: non-alignment harkens back to the Cold War and the non-aligned movement whose members sought to align neither with the United States nor the Soviet Union. In your book, Ambassador, you describe active non-alignment as a reaction to not wanting to be the ham in the Beijing-Washington sandwich, but also to put an end to what you describe as the growing marginalization of the region by taking Latin America's destiny into its own hands and not leaving it in the hands of others. Ambassador, let's start by getting a better handle on what exactly is meant by active non-alignment. How is this different than simple non-alignment? What does the active component mean? And can you explain the difference between active non-alignment and neutrality? Finally, how is this going to put Latin America's destiny in its own hands?
1: Well, first of all, let me underscore the following. Our notion of active non-alignment takes a page from the non-alignment that emerged in the 50s and 60s, but does not apply it monotonically. It adapts to the conditions of the 21st century. And there, A very significant difference is the following. The third world in the 20th century, during the Cold War, was basically marked by poverty, marginality, and inability to move forward and ahead on the economic ladder. In the 21st century, we have the emergence of the New South, of a global South that has rising powers like China like India, in which Asia is playing an increasingly significant role in world affairs. So there is a very important difference between the third world of the 20th century and the global south of the new century. That's number one. In that sense, there are many more possibilities of south-south cooperation than there were in the past. Second point on why we refer to active non-alignment in the sense that countries in the Global South today do not adopt simply a passive position, a defensive position. They take their destiny in their own hands and move forward, exploring new possibilities. On that, it seems to be the foreign policy that we are seeing implemented by Brazil under President Lula is an excellent example. Rather than sitting back and letting other countries take a stab at, mediating for peace in Ukraine. It is Brazil, a country that is very far away from Ukraine, but that understands it has a role to play and is putting significant initiatives on the table, which have resonated quite a bit. Active neutrality alignment is also different from neutrality. Neutrality is largely a legal term that has international law significations for the position that countries should take. Switzerland, of course, is the utmost example of that. Switzerland refused to join the UN up to a point, and also the EU. Active non-alignment is a different concept. It's a more dynamic concept. It doesn't mean that you take a neutral position on matters. On some issues, this means that countries in Latin America in particular will be closer to the United States, for example, on democracy and human rights. On other issues, say on international trade, they may take positions that are closer To China. Active non-alignment does not mean equidistance from the big powers, neither does it mean strict neutrality. Finally, let me underscore that active non-alignment puts a significant burden on the diplomacy of countries. Why? Because it means that you have to assess, you have to evaluate every single issue on its merits. It's much simpler to do as you are told, as aligned countries want to do. When you have to make decisions on every single issue that comes before you, it means you have to be much more exacting, much more analytical in the choices and in the analysis that you undertake.
0: Thank you, Ambassador. We'll get back to Brazil a little bit further on in the podcast, but right now I'd just like to ask you, so I get a good understanding of what you mean by active non-alignment. Are there alternatives for that, somewhere between active non-alignment and aligning yourself with one of the other sides? Or is that really the one suggestion that is viable for the region?
1: Well, I would say this. It is the one suggestion that has gained the most traction. Let me underscore that we put this on the table in an article we published with my colleagues, Fortin and Nominami in Foreign Affairs, Latin America, the Latin American edition of the New York-based journal, in July of 2020. And at the time, we received quite a bit of criticism. And some colleagues said that this was an anachronistic concept that had little relevance for the 21st century. Well, three years later, we find that it has resonated quite a bit, and we feel quite vindicated. Suddenly, in the course of the past year, non-alignment is back with the vengeance, as it were. And we would like to think that it is back in a new incarnation, which is uh, active non-alignment. Okay,
0: so active non-alignment appears to me to make sense in a context of competition between great powers. In the past, non-alignment between Russia and the United States, and today, active non-alignment in a different context in the 21st century that you've described. But in the case of Russia's ongoing war in Ukraine, the hedging, for want of a better term, that we've observed from Latin American countries seems confusing and perhaps even dangerous from the perspective of some observers, especially as your book describes that one of the central tenets of active non-alignment is the defense of multilateralism, and especially international law, which Russia has clearly violated in the case of its invasion of Ukraine. Latin America also is, broadly speaking, a a democratic region, and all the democratic countries' in Latin America voted in favor of the March 2022 resolution condemning Russia's invasion of Ukraine. However, with only one exception, Costa Rica, no other country has joined the West's sanctioned regime against Russia. So is condemnation in U.N. bodies sufficient for a region that thinks of itself as democratic? Also, some have framed this conflict as a European war, which Latin America should avoid getting dragged into. Given the significant economic and political shockwaves the war has produced already, is this characterization still accurate?
1: Well, yes. What is important to understand is that there are here two separate questions. The vast majority of Latin American countries have condemned Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and they have voted so in several United Nations resolutions. Now, that said, it is a different matter once you move on from that to other issues. For example, on the issue of economic and diplomatic sanctions on Russia. And here, the situation is quite clear. Yes, the war in Ukraine is a very tragic war, and we we'll watch it every evening on our television screens and supper with the Ukrainian people that are undergoing this terrible tragedy. That said, the notion that this is somehow a unique war, is sort of the only war in the world that merits global attention, is not something that is widely shared. There are many wars. There is a war that's been going on in Yemen for many years that has been funded by NATO countries that didn't seem to get the same level of attention. So the Latin American perspective here is quite straightforward. The invasion is condemned. But the notion that this European war should be transformed into a global war in which all 200 plus countries in the world should weigh in, uh, applying economic sanctions, sending weapons. Latin American countries have been asked to send weapons to Ukraine. That would mean becoming belligerents in the war. Why should that be? It's very unclear that there is a reason why the whole world should participate in this a European war. There have been wars in Asia, in Africa, that you know have not elicited the same response. The phrase that best describes this is a phrase by the foreign minister of India, Mr. Jay Shankar, who was kind enough to release our book on active non-alignment in Delhi a couple of months ago. And the way he put it is the time is past when Europe could consider that Europe's problems were the world's problems that the world's problems were not Europe's. And that phrase, it seems to me, summarizes the position of many countries in the global south, including, of course, India, that has taken such a prominent role in difficult circumstances.
0: Thank you, Master. I'm not sure I would entirely agree that selling weapons to Ukraine would amount to Latin American countries becoming belligerents. And as far as I understand, I believe as well, the ask from Germany and possibly the United States was for some munitions and possibly some weapons to be sold to them, who naturally would then have turned them over to the Ukrainians. But nonetheless, you mentioned Brazil a few minutes ago, and you mentioned specifically the the president of of Brazil. And I would agree, perhaps the most active practitioner of active non-alignment is President Lula da Silva, who has placed blame on both sides of the Ukrainian war. And as you mentioned earlier, proposed a peace club of like-minded countries to mediate the conflict during his recent trip to China and in in subsequent visits as well. The Brazilian foreign minister, Mauro Beira, recently received his Russian counterpart, Sergei Lavrov, where he talked about opening Brazil to greater Russian economic investments and condemned sanctions efforts. Do statements like these undermine the tenets of non-alignment, or is there a point at which non-alignment ceases to be a middle path and can perhaps inadvertently play into the hands of revanchist international powers instead?
1: I don't think so. There's a whole discourse that we have seen in the course of the past few years. And this is, you know, long before Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And that took issue with what it called the presence of so-called extra-regional powers in Latin America. That somehow the presence of countries like China, like Russia, Iran is often mentioned, shouldn't be, that these countries shouldn't be in Latin America. It was out of place. Latin America should restrict itself to relations with its traditional partners, the United States and Western European nations. That, it seems to me, is a very anachronistic notion. Latin America engages with the whole world, and that includes countries like Russia, like China, and others. The notion that somehow these countries should not do business with them because they are engaged in a war, the United States does business with Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia was the great participant in the war in Yemen. I mean, these are distinctions, it seems to me, that are very difficult to make. And the reality is that Latin America has diversified its international links, diplomatically, commercially, financially, in the course of the past 20 years. And that is not going to change.
0: We talked about sending weapons. And as you have said, the major countries that hold stocks of former Soviet military equipment have pointedly refused to provide them to Ukraine. However, Brazilian weapons, including cluster munitions, have been sold, in addition to the ones coming from the United States and other sources, have been sold to the UAE and Saudi Arabia, where they have been deployed, as you pointed out earlier, in the conflict of Yemen. Is there a risk here that the doctrine of non-alignment is being used to apply a double standard
1: by countries like Brazil? Well, that is a very good point. You know, my own view is that that obviously should not have happened, and it was a mistake. But... As to the current situation, it seems to me that to ask Brazil, Colombia, I think Argentina, Chile, uh, to provide weapons to Ukraine. These are countries that have refused to participate in economic sanctions. And you ask them to provide weapons. I mean, there was something very off, it seemed to me, about that request.
0: To its credit, I do note that the government of Chile agreed, if I'm not mistaken, to provide minesweepers, but only once the conflict was resolved.
1: That is correct. Unlike
0: China, Russian trade in the region is absolutely minuscule, and aside from certain sectors like fertilizers, Latin America does not depend heavily on Moscow for its economic well-being. What benefits does the region gain from trying to avoid a hardline stance against Russia?
1: Well, the way I would put it, this is not just strictly a question of economics. Yes, Brazil, which is a big agricultural power, depends for something like a quarter of its fertilizer imports on Russia. So there is a very direct link there. It is not the same with many of the other countries. This is not just simply an economic question. I would put it in broader terms. It has to do with, well, active non-alignment. And that applies not just to the relations between Beijing and Washington. It also applies to the relations with Moscow or with Brussels, for that matter. And Latin American countries see no reason why they should sort of gang up, against Russia on all fronts.
0: So back to this theory then that you have proposed. The Economist recently released its analysis of the so-called Transactional 25, the 25 largest economies that have not taken a side in the Russia-Ukraine conflict. This list includes six Latin American countries, Is there a difference in how countries in our region approach non-alignment from the rest of the 25? Is active non-alignment a regional strategy, or is it a theory that has global applications?
1: Well, I will say this. We started when we put this notion on the table in July of 2020, and we applied it to Latin America. And it really gained traction, which is what led to the publication of a Nettidol in Spanish in November of 2021, which elicited considerable interest, and then to the English edition of this book that came out in February, published by Anthem in London. So it's there's an evolution here. Now, what struck us is that our original proposal for Latin America resonated. And what we have seen in the course of the past year is that active and All alignment has been very well received and has, in fact, had an upsurge, both in Africa and in Asia. I was in New Delhi for a conference two months ago, where the issue was very much at center stage. And as I said earlier, Indian Foreign Minister Mr. Jay Shankar released our book at that conference in Delhi at the International Center. And then I was kindly invited to participate in a roundtable in Pretoria, organized by the South African Institute of International Affairs. And the title of that roundtable was Rethinking Non-Alignment, Perspectives from the Global South. And again, our proposals in the book gained considerable attention. So I think this is something that is resonating quite beyond Latin America and is finding expression in Africa and in Asia as well.
0: Okay, so why don't we turn that on its side, or upside down, I should say, and look at the theory from the view of the aligned rather than the non-aligned or the active non-aligned. So it's easy to see how this is appealing to countries who are facing the pressure to choose sides. Let's consider for a moment how such a policy might be received both from the U.S. perspective or from the Chinese perspective. What message would you like to share with our listeners here in the United States On how, for instance, U.S. policymakers could rethink their strategy to more productively engage a region that adopts a policy of non-alignment. As competition between the United States and China heats up, pressure will likely continue to increase for countries to pick sides. We've already seen fierce battles over Chinese telecommunications efforts in the hemisphere. Access to critical minerals, including lithium, is also an area of competition. What will be some of the key battles in the future where you expect this pressure to be most acute? And how can the region navigate these turning points effectively?
1: I will say the following. It is only natural that there is competition among the great powers. That is in the nature of international relations. That is how the game is played. And it seems quite predictable that countries that like the ones in Latin America, in Africa, and Asia are caught in the middle of this. Now, what I would like to convey to, as you said, listeners in the United States, is that competition is fine. We welcome competition. The more the merrier. The more U.S. companies want to participate in, say, bids on Chilean lithium deposits, the better. And I understand there are quite a few of them. The better. Let them compete with Chinese companies. May the better company and may the better band win. That, it seems to me, is the whole idea behind this. What we object to, what people that propose, actually, I mean object to, is the notion that somehow some countries should be excluded from the region, that they shouldn't have the right to participate in bids, that they shouldn't invest that they shouldn't, say, set up telecommunications facilities. That is something we object to because, in fact, in many areas, it is Chinese companies that has have the best technology and offer the best deals. Why shouldn't Latin American countries engage them? If the U.S. company has a better offer, so much the better. But that it be an open competition, an open bid. And that, it seems to me, is the way forward. May the company that has the better mousetrap win. And we would all benefit from that.
0: I don't think anybody objects to open competition, Ambassador. I think rather, as you have said, I think that's a welcome development. The concern stems from sometimes the apparent investments in dual-use infrastructure technologies that might somehow compromise national security and so on and so forth. But I do agree with you that I think it's in everybody's interest to ensure fair and open competition. Ambassador, is there anything that we didn't cover or anything that you'd like to highlight or to add?
1: Well, no, let me just say the following. It seems to me that what we are seeing and this renewed interest in Latin America on the part of the United States. In the course of the past few weeks, we have seen President Lula visit President Biden in Washington. We have seen President Petro visit President Biden in Washington. I mentioned earlier this renewed interest of U.S. companies in lithium deposits in Chile. It seems to me all of this is welcome, and it might very well be that if there wasn't this great power competition, we wouldn't see that. So for a long time, I would argue, the United States really didn't focus very much on Latin America. If this renewed focus is to compete for resources and to compete for investment and for trade, I think it is most welcome, and I think we would all be better off.
0: And I think you're absolutely right that there will be increasing competition because not only Chile, but Bolivia, Argentina are all very large sources of lithium and and other minerals that are absolutely critical to the green energy transformation. Ambassador Heine, thank you for joining us on 35 West. We appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today.
1: Thank you for the opportunity.
0: And that's it for this week's edition of 35 West. We hope you enjoyed listening and that you'll stay tuned for future episodes.